Well, the river was really a beautiful thing at that before the Shasta Dam went in because you had your riffles that were traditionally used for gathering of the salmon and the steelhead and trout and also the sturgeon. Born in 1923, Bob Burns remembers how things were before Shasta Dam went up. He says the salmon were big and strong then. The swift water kept their body built, and so they thrived on the strength of the river and the water. That's the way I would look at it spiritually, and that was what, one of the things that I was taught as a, as a young kid to respect. And that seemed to have been one of the losses of our people. When I met him, Bob was 96. He was still an active member of the Norelmuk Wintu Nation, co-chair, in fact. Norelmuk territory is west of the Winnemum Wintus, west of Shasta Dam in the Trinity Mountains. Bob lived in Hayfork, a relatively isolated spot, population 2,500. Way back when, he'd been friends with Chief Kelly's mom and her partner, Al Thomas. And now look at you guys. You guys are both old people. And have... <laughs> we got old. Damn, do you realize that was over 50 years ago? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I need a cane to get More around in. Yeah, I know. I wonder we survived. For a time, they all lived together. Shasta Dam had already been built. Separated from the McLeod River and their community, the family had few resources. Soon, more dams would go up. But at the time, the creeks where they'd moved to were full of fish. Bob would tell the girls to collect grasshoppers as bait. You guys get this Band-Aid can full of grasshoppers. By the time I got home work. <laughs> was that for to fish? One time, yeah. one time was up there on Page Boulder. And this here we kept feeding this one fish all kinds of grasshoppers. <laughs> Come on, y'all. All of a sudden, the whole bank exposed she finally hooked that daddy. Great big old trout about that long, little old dicky quick. Here <laughs> <laughs> she come crying and hollering and screaming behind me, bringing the fish. She took it home, Al almost cut the damn thing and had him cooked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they lived as an extended family, hanging on to what they could of the old ways from before Shasta Dam's construction. But Bob says they felt what had been lost. He and Al Thomas worked as loggers. He says before Shasta Dam, the major rivers of this area, the Sacramento, the Pitt River, and the McLeod, provided for the communities of Native people who lived here. I go back quite a few years, and I can remember whenever the old people used to go down on the river down there, and even if it was a big family, they would go down there and gather, they'd catch salmon, have a feed and they would go back to the mountains or go back to wherever they had to go to to replenish their stockpile for the winter. But, um, you know, they always had the river to go to to survive. And How big were the fish that you were catching? You could get an 80-pound an fish with an average size fish at that time, and now you can't, you don't get an 80-pound fish. And there was some of them that if you didn't have your line tied to a, to, a, to a willow bush or something, they'd pull you off in the river because they were big fish. Or if you made a mistake, it hit a sturgeon, and the sturgeon could pull you down the river. But it was fun. He tells me Shasta Dam buried an entire way of life under a lake. They destroyed a, a culture and a way of life, not only to one person, but to families and a tribe. Not to one tribe, but tribes of people 
that used to gather there. They, they, there was people from all over the country would come down, even though they had the Klamath River up in Oregon, but they would still come over the Sacramento, over Scotts Mountain, down in the Sacramento, to hunt and fish with those people, and to trade, and to live, and to enjoy life. They claim that the Indian people were savages, but um, to hear to to live back in the life that I had, which is only a few years ago, but yet they were happy. So the dam went up in 19, 1938, construction began. The construction, the clearing of the brush and stuff went up in 19, started in 1938, and they completed it in 1945. That's when it started backing up water. It was sad to see that happen because I mean, you lost a lot of your traditional sites, cultural sites, clear back up the river, and it's just uh, a lot of the people, you know, I, mean, I think it uh, just lost heart and gave up. They all wound up on Skid Row and Reading up on California Street. Are you seeing people in your mind right now? Pardon? Are you seeing people in your mind right now? Yeah. That never, uh, that never leaves my mind. It never will. This is the life that was lost after Shasta Dam went up. For Bob Burns and other indigenous people of the area, the government's proposed Shasta Dam and Reservoir Enlargement Project opens up these unhealed wounds. It stirs deep emotions. You know, are, are we going to just be another... You know, a tribe that's kind of lost everything, and we, we say one day, oh, yeah, my grams used to be, you know, but now we don't really do that no more. Winneman went to Chief Kaline Sisk. We used to be able to go there, but we, you know, we can't go there no more, so it's lost. And we don't think that way anymore. That's what I don't want to happen. From KELW's The Spiritual Edge, this is A Prayer for Salmon, an audio documentary series about the Winnemumwintu people and their clash with Northern California's Shasta Dam. I'm Judy Silber. Chapter 4. It's Illegal. Back in 2018, the move to raise Shasta Dam higher was gathering momentum. High-up officials in the Trump administration wanted the dam raise to happen. Powerful Democrats and Republicans wanted it to happen. And politically savvy, wealthy farmers in the Central Valley wanted it to happen. But perhaps no one wanted it more than the Westlands Water District, one of the largest and most powerful buyers of water in California. In December 2018, it held a public meeting to begin an environmental review process. Hello, everyone. If everyone can uh, take a seat, we'll be starting in just a couple of seconds. The state environmental review would position the water district as a potential partner for the dam raise. Congress had approved payment for only half of the estimated $1.4 billion cost. The lure for Westlands was the promise of more water. Hi, Jose Gutierrez with Westlands Water District. I just want to say thank you for everybody attending this event. This is a very important process, and we're interested in hearing your, your or receiving your written comments today. At first, Westlands said members of the public couldn't speak. 
only leave written comments. But so many people objected, organizers opened up the floor. Most speakers opposed the project, and they had a lot of reasons why. To me, this uh, smacks of a 19th century solution to a 21st century problem. They spoke of a future with worsening droughts. So the bottom line is we're building a dam for water that isn't going to come, like waiting for Godot. And Godot's not going to come. They perceive danger in building on top of an 80-year-old dam. And you build a structure on top of a dam, this is going to be a, an experiment for the area. Reading resident Dan Frost objected to more water going down to Westlands. The purpose of the project is to send more water at an enormous cost down to that perpetual bottomless pit, the Westlands Water District, which has an insatiable appetite for both water and public funds. Chief Kalinsisk's son, Michael Preston, also spoke. None of it has ever, I mean, not been said before. All of this has already been said before um, about the warnings of how the land is being treated, how the water is being treated, how the animals are being treated. Um, last but not least, how the people are being treated, how the Winnemum Wintu people are being treated and have been treated and are continuing to be ignored out of existence. I am a Winnemum Wintu person here. I'm in your face right now. Hello. We're all family here, by the way. Um, do you mind if we close both doors just That's for good. sound? That's fine. Okay. At the time of that charged up meeting, Tom Birmingham was Westland's general manager and had held that position for more than 20 years. I met him at his office in Sacramento. He told me he grew up in a house with a picture window that looked out onto Mount Shasta. And um, so there are spiritual um, um, connections to Mount Shasta that a lot of people have. I have those connections. That feeling of a spiritual connection doesn't change his convictions about Shasta Dam. He's convinced that investing in a taller dam will pay off. I've had discussions with very high-level officials in the state and federal government in both parties. And privately, they have said to me directly, um, Raising Shasta Dam is a no-brainer. Westland secures water for farms that are located in one of the drier parts of the state, in the San Joaquin Valley. Drive on Highway 5, the long two-lane artery between Southern and Northern California, and you'll pass these fields and orchards of almonds, pistachios, tomatoes, wheat, and melons. According to the Water District, these and other crops generated more than $2 billion in revenue in 2019. But with climate change, water is scarce. That's why the Westlands Water District wants a taller dam to store more. So it's not all about water supply. It would increase the, the flood protection provided by uh, Shasta Dam. It would enhance the ability to generate um, hydroelectric power. In fact, Reclamation's proposal was that 50% um, of the increased supply would be dedicated to fish and wildlife purposes. 
to give them more water is the bottom line. Patricia Schifferly is an environmental consultant who has made it her business to keep an eye on the water district. In environmental circles, Westlands is known as the big bad wolf, where no amount of water is enough to satisfy its thirst. The water district has a large federal contract, but it's a junior rights water holder, which means it falls towards the back of the line in low water years. They are at the end of the water bucket line and they want to go to the front of the water bucket line. In 2007, the Water District purchased 3,000 acres of McLeod River property for $35 million. This is property that would be impacted if the Shasta Dam enlargement project goes through. The purchase helped the Water District gain more control over the process. Patricia Schifferly worries about how a dam raise could impact the McLeod a river with unique qualities. I have uh, kayaked the McLeod and also Box Canyon on the Sacramento Upper Sac and hiked along those areas. And if you see those waters, those azure kind of blue water, it's, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. Shasta Dam's original construction swallowed more than 20 miles of the McLeod. The proposed new addition would impact roughly another mile. That area includes pristine wilderness and important Winnemum-Wintu sacred sites. It would strip habitat and trees, and not just on the McLeod, but all around the lake. We're going to take the last vestiges of this incredible resource and we're going to bury it. And then we're going to have a bathtub ring as the flows go up and down. You're listening to A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. This is an 11-part series. To hear the rest of it, search for The Spiritual Edge in any podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. Now back to the story. For those who love the McLeod, the loss is hard to think about. And Patricia Schifferly says they shouldn't have to. I mean, it's, it's against California law. It's against federal law. This is Ron Stork, senior policy advocate for the nonprofit Friends of the River. He says California law protects the McLeod's free-flowing state. The state's Wild and Scenic Rivers Act includes special protections that prohibit future dams or diversions. And in what now appears incredibly prescient, the law includes language meant to stop Shasta Dam from getting any bigger. But here's the catch. It doesn't ban a Shasta Dam raise outright. It's more like this sneaky maneuver that says... No agency of the state uh, can cooperate in the planning and construction of the Shasta Dam raise. No agency of the state can assist or cooperate in the construction of the Shasta Dam race. Westland's Water District is a state agency. So by law, it's banned from getting involved. Westland's Water District is an agency of the state, defined by the Water Code as an agency of the state. They cannot cooperate in the planning and construction of this project 
with the federal government. They have absolutely no business doing what they're doing. The Shasta Dam proposal appeared to violate California law, but it was still moving forward. That left Chief Colleen Sisk feeling tired and a little defeated. I'm so busy fighting against the Shasta Dam, trying to get our salmon back, you know, trying to establish a place for us to live, this village, trying to fight for our puberty rights ceremonies. You know, everything is a fight. Their fight is made harder because the Winnemumwintu are not federally recognized. They have no treaty, no agreement of sovereignty. A lot of California tribes got left off a list created in the late 1970s by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. This puts the Winnemumwintu in a vulnerable position. They look at us and say, not recognized. So we really don't have to deal with you, do we? It's a courtesy if we do. But whatever you say, we can take it or leave it. That's how federal recognition is a discriminatory tool. It also impacted their ability to fight the Shasta Dam race. They had less stature. Don Bader is Reclamation's Northern California area manager. That makes him the higher up at Shasta and other important dams. I talked with him in early 2019. We'll follow the process that's, that's required uh, under the 106 consultation, and um, we will be con con consulting with any impacted uh, people up on that area, yes. Section 106 is part of the National Historic Preservation Act. It requires federal agencies to consult with all parties impacted by construction at historic sites even unrecognized tribes. The Bureau of Reclamation started these consultations back in 2007, but to finish, it planned to wait until after the enlargement project earned its final approval. In other words, until it was practically a done deed. In our conversation, Don Bader said the Bureau of Reclamation was sensitive to potential losses of Winnemumwintu sacred sites. But planning documents said flooding at those sites was inevitable. Okay, so, okay, but so just to go back to the sensitivity, like, you know, you're a person, they're people. Um, we, it, like, how, how do you feel it as a sensitive issue? Again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall back to our process. Our process requires us to do consultation and that's, that's what we intend to do. Okay. Um, some people would say, uh, given the history of California Indians, given that um, their land was taken, in the case of Shasta Dam, there was no compensation for that land. Um, the history of genocide in the area. Uh, so some people would argue that there's like a moral imperative to to take care of them and taking care of you know to not to not decimate a. Um, to not decimate a, a tribe that's already on the edge of extinction. Um, and so I'm just wondering if you have any comment for that. No, I really don't. Or those. A few months later, I'm out with Chief Colleen as she picks herbs. These are different. She wears gardening gloves and carries big clippers to cut medicinal plants. But those other yellow ones are different than. 
Off in the distance, we see the McLeod Arm of Shasta Reservoir, yeah, where the river has already been changed well, we by the like dam. Him. I mean, if, if the dam does go forward, we have to come out of this with something. And even if the dam doesn't go forward, we have to come out of this with some change because we can't survive like this, fighting for everything that we have. When you know, I spoke to Chief Kelly, California's attorney general had recently filed a lawsuit to stop the Westlands Water District from participating in the dam race. She wasn't impressed. Chief Kelly said it wasn't enough to just stop the project, to maintain the status quo. She said the Winnemuwintu needed some kind of relief, some kind of justice for all of their prior loss. So she decided to take a radical step and meet with Westlands to see if anything could come of that. People say Westlands is uh, the Darth Vader of the rivers, right? That all they want is water, water transport, and all they want is money. And while I believe that's true, who doesn't? Who doesn't want that? Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of uh, Reclamation, uh, state water projects, private water projects, they all want that. Chief Kalin walks over to the other side of the road and pulls at a root buried a few feet down in the ground. How often do you come out here to pick herbs? Oh, these only come once a year. So if you don't get them now, you don't get them until next year. So soon they'll all be gone and they won't be back till next spring. And do you feel like this is one of the things you'd rather be spending time on? Oh, definitely. Than to go and sit in the office with Westlands Water District, which I'm going to do on the 29th. Yeah. Chief Kellyne has a few ideas about what she wants, if the enlargement project is going to happen. She wants a block dam, a way to hold back higher waters so sacred sites won't be destroyed. And she wants some traditional territory back in Winnemuwintu hands. There are some negotiations that could be done, you know, and, and we're going to explore that because we don't have any other options. The Bureau of Reclamation isn't offering anything. While promising, the talks never went anywhere. Because in August 2019, the Shasta County Superior Court issued a ruling. It issued an injunction. It agreed with California that the Westlands Water District was in violation of state law. It could not help fund the dam raise. That meant the project could not get built. Effectively, it was dead. Still, when we spoke, Westlands General Manager Tom Birmingham said he hadn't given up. So then do you, does, does Westlands feel like it has a path forward through the legal system? Well, well um, so, it, you know, this is a fascinating, fascinating um, subject for a lot of reasons. He says the McLeod has these very specific protections, including that nothing can impede its free-flowing state. But he says no one has studied whether a higher dam would actually do that. This is one of those circumstances where if you say it long enough, it becomes true. Enlarging Shasta Dam is prohibited by state law. No, it's not. State law says you're, that a state agency is prohibited from participating in the planning 
if, if, and nobody has ever, ever evaluated the if. At the end of 2022, the Westlands Water District had a shakeup. It elected new board members who differed from the old guard. They say it's time to adjust to a California with less water. Tom Birmingham retired. It's not clear if Westlands will continue to push for a higher dam, but politicians who believe in the dam raise are still fighting for it. That means Winnemum Wintu sacred sites remain at risk. At this point, Chief Kaline is pragmatic. We're not, um, we're not at that absolute take the dam down or absolute stop the dam project totally, but we are at the fish have to return, the river has to be well, sacred sites have to remain. If you could figure out how to do that, we're not going to oppose it. But if you don't figure out how to do that, we are in opposition. We're, we're not willing to give up more and get less again. Because of Shasta Dam, Chief Kaleen and her siblings are the first generation to grow up away from the McLeod River. This is her sister, Helene Sisk. She's had a feeling of displacement her whole life. It's a subject that makes her upset. I just, I just feel like that's our, our home. Where we're supposed to be. It would be great to live there. I'd go back and live there. What is it you think you'd have if you were living there? Wouldn't have nothing but the river. <laughs> I don't know, peace of mind. Peace of mind living on the river where you belong. Everybody owns the river except us. All the San Francisco and our Westlands now owns part of the river. We don't own nothing. How does that make you feel? Um, cheated. We've been cheated out of our life. Um, had to conform to some other life. I used to have dreams all the time about the river. Do you make? Does it make you feel angry? Like, and and if so, like, who are you angry with? Or are you just? Do you just feel sad? It just it makes me hate the Shasta Dam. <laughs> I just hate the government. Like, why didn't you just leave us alone? You know, why did you? have to be there in our place, have to have our our spots. Why did you need it, you know? Why did you just, why did you come and steal the kids? Why did you come and kill everybody? Why did you take our place? Just, uh, yeah, it makes me a little angry sometimes. Like, we're, we've been displaced, I guess, out of our own place. On the next chapter of A Prayer for Salmon, we follow the Winnemum Wintu 
as they begin a 300-mile prayer journey that advocates for the return of Chinook salmon to their historical spawning grounds. They've diverted the water system so that the springs don't come up here anymore with no sense of where is appropriate to live. listening to is In the River by Ray Zaragoza. A Prayer for Salmon is a project of the Spiritual Edge at KALW Public Radio. To hear the rest of the series, look for the Spiritual Edge in your podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. That's also where we have beautiful photos from the series. I'm Judy Silber. Thanks for listening. sisters and our brothers. We are camping Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.